grace, peace, and mercy be with you on this All Saints Day through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. A teacher asked her children in her Sunday school class, If I sold my house and my car and had a big garage sale and gave all my money to church, would I get into heaven? No, the children shouted. If I cleaned the church every day, mowed the grass, and kept everything neat and tidy, would I get to go to heaven? Again, the answer was a resounding no from the children. Well, she continued, then how can I get to heaven? In the back of the room, a five-year-old boy shouted, you got to be dead. <laughs> Isn't it strange? As Christians, we look forward to death because it means we get to keep on living on a new earth, in the new heavens, and finally be with God in person and see Him face to face. I sift through a lot of junk mail here at the church office, a lot of advertisements for events representing a number of different Christian churches, you know, interdenominational conferences and workshops, you know, worship media and sermon series, all this stuff promoted and sold to Christian churches everywhere. And most of what I see has little to say about death and eternal life. You know, it seems most of what the industry is producing out there for churches has mostly to do with the here and now. You know, how to be the church in post-Christian times. How to be the church and do social justice. Money management and comfortable Christian living. You know, being your best person now for God and His kingdom and so forth. And some of that is important, but pick up any Missouri Synod Lutheran publication or go to an LCMS event, you know, whether it's a conference or even a national youth gathering, and at some point you're going to hear about the promise we, had, we, we have of God for life everlasting. It doesn't matter what the topic is, some connection is going to be made to God's promise of eternal life. And we're also a church who still observes All Saints Day set on November 1st by Pope Gregory III sometime in the 8th century. A day to celebrate all those who have died and gone before us into eternal life. Those we know and those whom we don't know, who are unknown to us. The church has three scripture readings which are the same ones read every year on this day. And one of them is John chapter 3 verses 1 through 3. And I've expanded that today to verses 8 through 15, which don't get heard on, on any Sunday in the church year. And these verses, as you've already heard, and as, I'm about, and as I'm about to go through again in more detail, they seem very focused on the here and now, don't they? Yet there's a glimmer in there. There's a, a warning and a promise which has to do with our eternal life. First of all, who is this John who wrote this letter? Well, you know, John was a very popular name in ancient or first century Judea, as it still is today. Could it be the same Apostle John who wrote the gospel of the same name? Well, the author of this letter doesn't say, 
but the few first lines sure ring a bell. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it. Sounds a lot like the opening of the Gospel of John. 1 John was a letter written around the year 90, uh, just a few years before John had and wrote down his revelation on the island of Patmos. Now here's what we're used to hearing on All Saints Day from this letter every year. See how the Father has loved us. We are called God's children, and that's what we are. The world doesn't know us because it didn't get to know Him. Dear friends, we are now God's children, but it hasn't yet been shown what we're going to be. We know that when it will be shown, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. Comforting words to be sure. Now listen again to what comes after. Everyone who sins breaks the law. Sin is breaking the law. And you know Jesus appeared in order to take away our sins. There is no sin in Him. Well, John is stating the obvious here, isn't he? Jesus being without sin? I mean, Paul wrote about that many times over in the years before. And it's attested to in the four Gospels as well. But around this time in the late first century, false teachings by people claiming to have secret knowledge of Christ were causing division and strife among the very first Christians. So it's not so obvious after all to state the truth in the midst of confusing and dangerous doctrines. That's why we hear the same things over and over again in the church today. You know, we're coming up on Advent and Christmas, right? We know Jesus was born of Mary, a virgin. We know it's God who has come to us as one of, as one of us. Nevertheless, we hear it over and over and over again that we might not fall into some trap of some new age teaching or some new take on the narrative. But back to John. Anyone who stays in Jesus doesn't sin. Anyone who sins hasn't seen him or known him. Children, don't let anyone deceive you. Whoever does right is righteous as he is righteous. Well, we understand the part about not letting ourselves be deceived, but uh, what about sin? Anyone who sins hasn't seen him or known him? I sin. You sin. We don't know Jesus. Is that what John is saying? If so, I would want to disagree with him. Wouldn't you? Towards the end of his life, Martin Luther was asked about this and many other things, and he replied very crankily, We've been through this already. But if you insist, we've been teaching from the beginning, the Holy Spirit doesn't allow sin to rule and gain the upper hand. But the Spirit controls and resists so that sin is not able to do whatever it wants. However, when sin does whatever it wants, then the Holy Spirit and faith are not there. 
That's a sobering and alarming cause for some self-examination, isn't it? Is my sin habitual? Does it have the upper hand? Am I out of control? If there's a shred of remorse and repentance and trust in God for forgiveness, then there is faith. And the faith the side of a mustard seed can do great things. That's good news. We have that promise from Jesus himself. Otherwise, what hope would we have? But John goes on. Anyone who lives in sin is the devil's child because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. God's Son appeared in order to undo the devil's works. Everyone who is God's child refuses to sin because God's new life is in him and he cannot sin because he is God's child. You can see who are God's children and who are the devil's children. Anyone who doesn't do right or love his brother isn't God's child. Man, John is harsh, isn't he? It still sounds like me, though. It sounds like everyone. I cannot help but to sin. Yet I don't want to be the devil's child. And <laughs> neither do you, I presume. There is no true Christian life, though, without a break from the old life of sin. We are born again of God in our baptism and deplore and reject our own sin and can daily repent of it. We're born again with the desire to do good and do better and grow in righteousness. Not only that, it's the reason Christ came to us. He came to earth to save us sinners. Again, Luther says about this, here you have the fulfillment of the first sermon of the good news of Jesus found all the way back in Genesis. The seed of the woman, Eve, had to be born to destroy the works of the devil. Now the seed has appeared in the flesh, Jesus, and he has destroyed the works of the devil. So, don't be like Cain, John goes on to say. Love one another. Cain was the son of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he do that? Because he did wrong and his brother did right. And he couldn't stand that his brother did good. He couldn't bear it or tolerate it, so he had to crush his brother. Don't be surprised, fellow Christians, if the world hates you too for the same reason. Christians are killed somewhere on this planet every day on account of Jesus and their good works. But we know we have come from death to life because we love our fellow Christians. Anyone who doesn't love stays dead. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has everlasting life remaining in him. This is how we learned what love is. He gave his life for us. We too should give our lives for our fellow Christians. You know, in the midst of this pandemic, I've tried to make some connections or draw some parallels with what the people here experienced a hundred years ago or so during the Spanish influenza. And thankfully, one parallel that we can draw so far is that no one in this congregation died from influenza then or has today from coronavirus. We pray 
it remains that way, right? We have had some losses this year, though, more than in 1920. In 1920, only one church member, one saint, went on to his eternal life, and that was Franz Schmidt at 54 years old. I don't know the reason. It was written in German, and I couldn't, I couldn't decipher it. When Brother Franz died and went to heaven, he was met at the front gate by St. Peter, who let him know he needed 100 points to get in. You tell me all the good things you've done, Franz, and I'll give you points according to your deeds. When you reach 100, I'll swing open the gates. Okay, Franz reported. I was head usher at St. Paul Lutheran Church for 15 years. That's wonderful, says St. Peter. That's worth two points. I was married for the same woman for almost 34 years and never cheated on her. Remarkable, Peter declared. Here are three more points. Only three? Franz frowned. <clears throat> All right, how about this? I started a soup kitchen in Portland and, and worked in a homeless shelter. Terrific. Here are two more points. Franz's eyes opened wide and he yelled, Two points? At this rate, the only way I'll get into heaven is by the grace of God. Peter swung open the gates and said, Come on in. <laughs> I don't know if Franz Schmidt did all those things here. I just inserted his name into an old Sunday school cartoon from the 1940s. Nevertheless, it's true, isn't it? you got to die to get into heaven. But Jesus bought our way into eternal life through his own blood shed on the cross. He laid down his life for us. His love for us has covered all our sins. And this is a great comfort as we remember those who have died in the faith. As Lutheran Christians, we don't focus on the spiritual power or piety of those who've died. We know there's nothing laudable in us, in any of us, before a righteous and perfect God. But we rejoice that those we love are with Jesus, awaiting the glorious day when all of us gather before the throne of God. The promise of Scripture is for all God's children. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Let's go forth today and every day knowing that our salvation, forgiveness, and hope are built on the promise which will never fail us. For we are in Jesus and He is in us. Death has been defeated in His death and resurrection. And we are brought into the promises through the holy waters of baptism. We will live even though we will die. Amen.